Well, hey, this is Bob Bergen. And we, 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 yeah, Porky Pig. And you're listening to the Canned Air Pod. You're listening to the Canned Air Pod. You're listening to the Canned Air Well, you know what you're listening to, folks, don't you? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley and had another awesome experience this week on the show. Got to talk to a voice legend who you've heard over the years in things like Johnny Bravo, The Emperor's New Groove, Monsters, Inc., uh, Toy Story 2, Bugs Life, Star Wars, The Bad Batch, Clone Wars, Animaniacs, Tiny Toon Adventures. Uh, here's one that excited me. Neil Leeds in the 90s Spider-Man series. I love that series so much. Um, but he's most famously known for, one, uh, being the voice of Luke Skywalker in Star Wars video games. So many video games over the years. And uh, as well as in Robot Chicken. But probably best known for his Looney Tunes work. Uh, voicing Marvin the Martian, Tweety, Sylvester Jr., Speedy Gonzalez, but most famously, Porky Pig. We welcome voice acting legend Bob Bergen to the show this week. And I got to tell you, this was one of those conversations. I always set them up as one of those amazing conversations because they always are. But this one hit a little bit differently for me in, a, in such a positive way. It was a great conversation. Bob's such a great guy. It was a lot of fun to talk to him. I'm excited for you guys to hear that. But before I turn you guys over to the conversation, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you head over to CandAirPodcast.com, there are two tabs on there that you can uh, help support the show. One, our merch tab. There's t-shirts, mugs, stickers, hats, hoodies that have the CandAir logo and other cool CandAir-inspired designs on them. Or there's a link to our Patreon page where for 5 to $10 a month gets you access to a ton of uh, different content we've created that the general public don't get to hear. You can only hear them on Patreon, and there are hours upon hours of extra footage there. So be sure to check that out. And um, Evergreen Podcast Network, the network we're very proud to be a part of. We've been with a couple years now. They treat us so good. We're on that network with a lot of other great shows. So check them out, evergreenpodcast.com. Before we get started, there are a few things I wanted to talk about really quick. Uh, one, uh, there's a cruise that Bob mentions later in the conversation, the voiceover cruise, the second annual voiceover cruise with Bob himself, along with casting director and coach Mary Lynn Wisner. They put on, this is the second year they're doing it, the second annual VO cruise, which is a 10-day Mexican Riviera cruise on the Crown Princess, which is a round trip from San Francisco, uh, January 23rd through February 2nd which sounds like a lot of fun, especially if you're into the VO, if you're trying to uh, you know, find your footwork in the industry, get some advice, this would be a great opportunity for you. But uh, hurry up, because they're only taking 40 students, and uh, the way he's talking, it's filling up quick. So uh, now would be the time to check into that. If you're interested, I'm going to put uh, a link in the bio to this episode so you can uh, easily click it and just get right over to the page to get the information you need. And uh, second, the other thing I wanted to mention really quick is typically when uh, I do these conversations, uh, I have a few minutes that I talk with the person before we actually start the conversation for the show. Uh, that was not the case this time. From the second the phone was picked up, we just shot right out of the gate. And the beginning of the conversation might seem a little bit out of context, so I just wanted to give a little context before I turned it on. Bob was on a business call right before he was gonna get on our call. 
that ran just a few minutes over, which was no problem at all. I typically expect that kind of a thing, but Bob felt bad. So when he picked up the phone, he just launched uh, right into what was going on. And I didn't want you guys to be uh, left out of the loop as, as to what we were talking about at the very top of the episode. But other than that, I think that's all I have to say. So let's just cut it over to my conversation with Bob Bergen. You are very patient. <laughs> you are very kind. Thank you so much. Oh, Bob. no problem. It's a, it was like, it's a holiday week end. Sure. So all these like deadlines I wasn't expecting came at me when I was supposed to have nothing to do. <laughs> Isn't that the way So I'm like, goes? oh, okay, 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 I got it, I got it, okay. So anyway, that's what's going on. How you doing? I'm doing well, doing really well. The weather's nice. I can't complain, man. Where are you? I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Yeah, you're in L.A.? I am in L.A., but I spent six years in Cincinnati. I read that. I did read that. Yeah. That's exciting. Not far from here. Uh, you were yeah. probably there during the Kenner years. That was, that was a big Cincinnati staple. I was not only there during the Kenner years. My dad was, I don't even know the guy's name, but was friends with, a, with a, um, an executive with Kenner who wow. would, he would give me prototype toys to play with. No kidding. To get my opinion. And one of them was this dude where you could take his arms and his legs and stretch them. Okay. I, I said, what is it? And he goes, it's kind of like based on Plastic Man, but we can't use that because that's owned by, I think it was DC. Yeah. I said, um, so what about like Stretchy or Mr. Stretch? And he goes, oh, I like that. And so they decided on Stretch Armstrong. You named Stretch Armstrong. I, I can't take credit for it. I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine or ten. And I just oh. remember him bringing me this thing. And it didn't even have a face. It just had the body. It had a head, but it had a, a, a blank face. Holy and it was. And, 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 and one of the things he wanted to do was he wanted me to take the legs and then take the arms and just keep walking uh, through my parents' living room to see if he would explode. And I remember my mom saying, whatever's inside that son of a bitch better not get my car. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I had one growing up and it did rip open and all this goopy corn syrup shit come running out yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, I'm not sure, but I think they also had that Evil Knievel bike where you put the bike on and, and crank it up right. and then push a button. And I got that too, but it wasn't Evil Knievel. It was just the bike. Don't tell me you're responsible for naming that one too. Not at all. Okay. Uh, but, but, I, but I did I did play with it. And I remember my, a buddy down the street and I played with it. And he came over, this guy came over, he goes, how was it? And I said, well, it's great, but it works too well because we lost it. But like in the bushes in the sewer, did, where, where did you send it off to? I think I think there was a creek behind our houses. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. And we were nowhere near it, but the dang thing really worked well. Maybe they actually made it less uh, potent, so it wouldn't so go quite as, away. as gotcha. far. Yeah, but it, that was fun. Those were fun toys, weren't they? They don't make them like yeah. they used to, truly. But, Bob, thank you again so much for being here. It's awesome sure. to talk with you. And before I get to asking my questions, I have to say I'm so glad you're recording from the room you're in. I've seen you in this room in other interviews, and I've been so intrigued by all the faces on the wall behind you. Could you explain that at all? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, I collect life masks. I collect life masks of people that I'm uh, a fan of or, or work, their work that, that I admire. And you're very young, so you probably won't know half the people up there. Well, let me, let right me above, see. Let me okay. see. 
I know there's Alfred Hitchcock. One of them looks right. like Boris Karloff. Very good. Yep. Uh, Robin Williams. Very good. And by the way, that's the Robin Williams mask that was used in Mrs. Doubtfire when they took the wow. plaster off, and they were and they made the prosthetic makeup for the for the Mrs. Doubtfire character. Right I now. remember that scene. I, oh my God. Mm -hmm. And now, how about right next to uh, Alfred Hitchcock? Is that Don Rickles? Everyone says that no. So so that's Jack Nicholson. Seriously. So Nicholson wanted to prove to Warner Brothers that he didn't wouldn't have to wear makeup when prosthetic makeup when he played the Joker. So he he had them make a plaster mold of his face smiling, which is disgusting because plaster gets in your teeth. Right. And 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 after they took the mask off and he still had plaster in his teeth, they looked at it and said, No, no, you need prosthetic makeup. You still <laughs> Didn't work out for him, but Madame, what a so, cool, what a cool wall! So that's Marlon Brando, and that's uh, James Cagney, Bob Hope. This is Buster Keaton. This is Vincent Price. Under behind the lamp is Bella Lugosi. At the very, very top is um, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Oh my God! I love the Beatles. I mean, I know everyone does, but damn, how cool! And man. then, and then I'll give you one more if I can. So, over on that side, oh, you can barely see them. Uh, the the gal with the bonnet is Catherine Hepburn, and the guy behind the lamp is uh, James Dean. How freaking cool! What got you started collecting those? It's an odd um, genesis for some stupid reason, and why he would have this, I have no idea. I was looking to see if Mel Blanc had a had a life mask. He probably doesn't. I would imagine he didn't. And the reason why these these people had life masks is they were um, they were they were studio contract players, and part of their contract said they have to make a life mask in case they need to do prosthetic makeup for a part that you book. Okay. And so that way you don't have to sit there for twenty hours a day as they try to try things on. Right. What a cool and so I was man. looking for Mel Blanc, and I got. I think Alfred Hitchcock, and I went, that's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that's yeah, really I'll cool. That. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> well, thank you for explaining and sharing that. I've been so <laughs> curious about it. And again, what a cool wall to have. But let's get started. Let me ask you some of these okay. questions I've got here. Looking online uh, all the way back to the age of five is about the earliest I could find on you where at five years old, you were recording uh, television cartoons, uh, mimicking cartoon characters, and knew at five years old you wanted to be Porky Pig. I'm curious what it is yeah. at age five uh, that appealed to you about Porky over the other characters. Why not Daffy? Why not Bugs? Why Porky? Common question I get all the time. Why not Mickey Mouse? Um, I found him. <laughs> I found him funny. Sure. I found. I found uh, th that his his personality, where he would try to stutter through something and then ad lib something else. I thought it was funny. And I mean, I'm five. I didn't know that was an ad lib. I didn't even know what a stutter was. Right. I just knew that his his character and his voice was funny, and um, I well, my voice hadn't changed. I was five, but I would sit I would sit in front of the TV and I would mimic cartoons back to cartoons, and I would record them and try to figure out, you know, how to do them. And um, I, I've kind of figured, just on my own, that from hearing all of these characters from Warner Brothers, there was like a common denominator, which was Mel Blanc. I didn't know it was right. Mel Blanc. And I was also probably not able to read credits back then either. But I just could tell, I, I, I remember saying to my parents, I think it's the same person. And my mom said, yeah, his name is Mel Blanc. And so that's how that whole thing came. But I understand, I was five. Sure. I mean, on Monday, a five-year-old wants to be 
Porky Pig. On Tuesday, they want to be a baseball player. On, on Wednesday, they want to be an astronaut. So, right. you know, I don't think my parents took it too seriously that I wanted to play this animated character. <laughs> so is that what it was, though, at five, like wanting to play them? Or was it like, I want to be Porky Pig with the curly tail and little jacket and stuff? I, it was really, I want to do that for a that sound. I, I just want to play, do that sound. I did not want to be a pig. I did okay, not want good. to go around without pants. I just, I, and 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 I, I even remember when my when I said to my parents, you know, I want to I want to be Porky Pig. I think they thought as a you know a five year old kid, well tomorrow he's going to want to be Superman. Isn't that great? Sure. So, but I was really thinking, but I didn't know there was a thing called voiceover. I didn't know there were a thing. I didn't even know these were actors doing this. I just was like, and I taught myself you know, the the pattern of his is this stutter. And even though I'm just doing that on my own voice uh, right now, I would do it on my own voice then because I again my voice hadn't changed. Right. But as far as I, I as far as I could tell, I thought I sounded just like him. Uh, yeah, I would say. <laughs> now speaking about uh, Mel Blank at age 14, what a cool story this is! You went through the phone book looking for and found Mel Blank's phone number and called and got to yeah. speak with the man. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that call and what it was like hearing your idol come through uh, the phone talking to you? It's sort of like you've got this mission to, to 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 make this phone call to reach out to this person, and then you're like, oh no, he's here, he's there. What do I say? <laughs> so um, it was a combination of I'm determined to find him, and then when and what happened was it's a long story. I've, I've told it a million times. I found his number and I got his wife, and her name was Estelle. And I said, is Mr. Blank there? She said, no, he's not. May I take a message? I said, what time do you expect him back? And she says, I think about 4.30 or something. And I think I started calling at 9 o'clock in the morning. And at 9.05, I called back. And at 9.35, I called back. And, and she got she was very sweet. No, he's still not here. No, he's still not here. And at like 4.30, one moment, Mel, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> and he was very sweet. How did you, he said, how did you get my number? And um, I looked well, my dad had collected phone phone books for people who don't know what a phone book is. Um, <laughs> they had a thing called the yellow pages for businesses and the white pages for um, for residential phone numbers. And I told my dad I want to call Mel Blank. And you know, I looked in a phone phone book and couldn't find his number. And my dad said, well, you know, L.A. is a lot bigger than Cincinnati. Sure. So he traveled from from like Pasadena to Malibu and collected white page phone books from post offices. And I just had this big stack of phone books. And I called every male or M blank in the book. Couldn't find it. And then I thought I'll look under his wife's name, Estelle. And I found E blank in the Pacific Palisades. And that's how I talked to him. I taped the conversation, which is completely illegal. But <laughs> it's been, it's been, it's, it's 1978. 45 years, I guess. I'm fine. I think I'm not going to jail for this. No, yeah, so you're I think good. I'm okay. I think I'm okay. And that call is entertaining to listen to, which is on your website, bobbergen.com. Uh, love hearing it because you can, you know, you hear the nerves and the excitement in your voice, but you, at the same time, you're dead set on, you know, asking what you're there to ask. Um, but one yeah. thing about that recording, and I don't know if it's just that you were putting up a section of it, but it seems like that call, cuts at off. least the recording cuts off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you explain, like, what, how was what the rest happened? of that conversation? Yeah. What happened was um, I just listened to that tape every day over and over and over again and would rewind it and listen rewind it and listen and on one rewind the the cassette tape got caught in the rotary of my oh. of my tape recorder and i took the tape out and it was like you know the string yes and i, I and i and i yanked and it ripped 
and it just completely broke in half. And I was really depressed and I threw it away. And my mother found it in the garbage can and she thought, well, maybe someday these can be saved. Who knows? And right. she put it in her dresser drawer. And like, I don't know, 25 years ago, she called me up and she says, I was just cleaning out my dresser drawer and I saw this tape. Do you remember it? I said, yeah. And so I took it to a buddy at a radio station who spliced it back together and digitally enhanced it. So that's what I've got on, on my website. But I will tell you that the, if you listen to the end of the, the long tape on my, on my website, the long recording, I, my mom, everyone was out of the house when I was talking to Mel Blank, and I had signs everywhere. Talking to Mel Blank, don't hang up the phone, because I had the phone in the kitchen uh, on the little built-in oh. of my tape recorder. And my mom either just didn't notice there were these giant signs and just hung it up. Oh and, no. And and I and she comes into her bedroom where I was on the phone talking to him. I said, Let me ask you another question, Mr. Blank. She goes, my mom goes, Oh no. And she goes, runs back in and she picks up the phone, but she turned it the wrong way. So the last the half of the conversation was hard to hear anyway because she didn't put uh the right part of the of the telephone on the built-in mic of the of the, of the tape recorder. But it broke anyway. So it it, it wasn't salvageable anyway. How cool to, to even have, though, what you have left of it. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And it, it wasn't uh, too long after that that you got to witness him uh, working. You got to watch right. him work. Can you talk a little bit right. about that? Well, during that conversation, he I asked him if they're still doing cartoons. I didn't know. And he had, he, he, he told me that Warner's animation department uh, closed down in the late 60s, like about 10 years earlier. And I said, so are you doing anything with these characters? He goes, oh, yeah, we do commercials. Um, we do toys. And he mentioned that he was recording uh, an arena show. Like, think think Disney on ice, but without the ice. Okay. Uh, with okay. the Looney Tunes. And I said, oh, do you do that at Warner Brothers? And he goes, no, no, no. He mentioned the name of the studio. And the studio uh, was a place called Bell Sound in Hollywood, still there. And I said, oh, and you're doing that? Um, you're doing that? Uh, right now, he goes, yeah, we're finishing it up this week. But he didn't tell me the day or the time, just that he was doing it that week. So when I was done with him, I called that studio because he mentioned the name, and I pretended to be his assistant. And I said, <laughs> I said, hi, I'm calling to confirm Mel Blank's appointment this week. And I may, totally made this up for Thursday at 9. And they're like, well, we have him on, 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 on the calendar for Wednesday at 11. I went, oh, my gosh, you're right. I'm looking at the wrong day on, on the calendar. Forgive me. That's another job. Thank you so much. And I told my mom, skipping school on Wednesday, and we're going to go watch Mel Blank work. And she said, okay, cool. And wow. when we got to the studio, I told the receptionist that we were guests of Mel Blank, and he invited us to watch. And she said he's over there in that, in that, in that studio over there. And when I went to that studio over there, I told his producer, um, hi, we're friends of the receptionist. And she said we could watch. And so that's how I got to watch him work. You are clever as hell. I would have never thought of any of that. Wow. So did uh, did he see you? Did he did you get any interaction with him at yeah? That day? So so he was recording, and in the middle of the recording session, and at the end of the recording session, um, I said, "I'm the kid that called you a couple of days ago." He goes, "Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah," and he gave me an autograph, and I it's I have it on my wall there. I have it blown up over my my recording booth. And as we're driving away, I said to my mom, "You know, I don't think I can be Porky Pig right now. He's still doing it." And my mom goes, 
and your voice hasn't changed and you're in ninth grade. So other than that, I think you're right. You can't do this right now. <laughs> so I got home from that session and I called Hannah Barbera and I said, I just saw Mel Blank. I want to do what he does. How do I do it? And they referred me to Dawes Butler, who was all the voices of Hannah Barbera that Mel Blank wasn't. And right. um, and so that that began my training. And I started I started studying voiceover and eventually acting in improv. Uh, at, at about 14, 14 and a half. That's incredible to be uh, trained by Dawes Butler. I mean, a legend. Yeah, Dawes was great. Dawes was amazing. Wow. Okay, so then in 1989, we unfortunately lose Mel Blanc. And then 1990, you get to voice not only Porky Pig, but, uh, you know, Marvin the Martian, Tweety, Sylvester Jr., uh, Speedy Gonzalez, which is really cool. But I imagine this time being somewhat of a mixed bag of emotions for you. You know, your dreams are coming true, but at the same time, as a result of the passing of your idol. Yeah, I mean, there were so many layers of emotions. First of all, I was already working in the business. I had a really good agent. Right. Um, and I was at a place from a from a professional point of view where... Uh, I had an agent with enough clout in a body of work where Warner Brothers would see me to audition for these characters. But then there's also, oh, because Mel Blanc died. And yeah, the, the fanboy in me is like, oh my gosh, this will never happen again. Because, you know, I mean, I've been doing Porky, not exclusively, there's other people who have done all the characters at some point. But um yeah, no, none of us are like him. None of us are as good as him. None of, he's the genius. Uh, we, we do our best. So it was a combination of a little bit of a mourning of his loss right. and an excitement that, but you have to understand the odds were against me. I mean, what were the odds that I would be in LA at the time when they needed somebody to audition for these characters? And I'd have the skills, I'd have the clout in the business to have an agent who had the clout to get me in. So the plan is just aligned really, really, really well. I would say so. Let's talk a little bit about Porky Pig, because, you know, he's one of the most distinct voices in all of cartoons. And I would imagine that uh, he's probably also one of the most difficult. Now, you've already been talking about, you know, you've been working on this voice, practicing it since the age of five. So I would imagine by this time, You'd had it mostly worked out, but was there was there still more work to be done when that day came, or did uh, you already yes. have it in the bag? I will tell you that uh, when I first started doing the character, the, the early jobs, and by the way, I have never had a contract to play this character. No, kidding. every time I work, every no nobody who does the classic character has a lifetime contract. Every time there's a new job, commercial, cartoon, movie, toy, whatever. I, I signed a contract for that particular gig and I still have to audition for him after all this time. So um, that's showbiz. That's just how it works. The early days. So my first job was Tiny Toon Adventures and they had had Mel Blanc's son, Noel, in to all do right. it first. And they collectively were like, he's, he's not his dad. He's not as good. Uh, his dad's dying wish was that Noel do these characters and, oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, his dad did die thinking his son was going to do it, which I think is is amazing. It's awesome. That's right. that's charming as hell. But they didn't like what he was doing with the character. They animated an episode. And I'd already had a dozen auditions to play this character before this. 
And I just got a phone call. Can you come in and, and do an episode of Tiny Tunes? I said, sure. So that was my first job. And then we started doing like, you know, McDonald's uh, Happy Meal commercials and oh, things for the world those. or things like that. So the studio would play me like a 20 minute reference tape before every session of Mel Blanc doing Porky Pig. Some of it was from the 30s, some from the 40s, some from the 50s, some from the 60s. And I'm like, well, which one do you want? And they're like, well, it's all Porky Pig. I said, well, no, the character evolved. And Mel Blanc wasn't the original voice of Porky Pig. The original voice was a guy who actually stuttered and oh, wasted. Oh, no kidding. So yeah. that was just worked into the character as a result of his natural stutter. Wow. Well, that was, that was, that was the personality of the character, but the actor stuttered. And he wasted so much film because they recorded on film back then because tape didn't exist yet. And Jack Warner was tired of paying so much for film stock for all these uh, animated shorts. So they brought in Mel Blanc, who could control the stutter and also create that ad-libbing uh, comedy personality to the character. But I would say to the Warner Brothers executives, look, when Mel Blanc first got it in the 30s, he was doing his best impression of the original guy. And then it started to evolve. And then each director, from Chuck Jones to Frizz Freeling to Bob Clampett to uh, Robert McKimsum, they all had their own take on what they thought the character was. Frizz Freeling, he was more of a little timid uh, for Chuck, he was the smart uh, foil to Daffy's lunacy. And so as I would, what do you want from this, from this, uh, this version of what we're doing? They were, they would look at each other like, I don't know what he's talking about. So if nobody ever told me what they want from me, my sweet spot for Porky is about 1953 to 1957, Chuck Jones. It's, it's drip along Daffy. It's duck Dodgers. Um, it's Robin Hood Daffy. That's where I think Mel Blanc just finally, at that point, that was the character. Right. That, that, and that's what I, if I don't, if I'm not asked what to do with the character, that's where my mind goes to. But we just finished 200 plus shorts for uh, Max, it was HBO Max. And they had more of a, uh, of a Bob Clampett, Tex Avery, zany Looney Tunes feel. So it was really cool to be able to play that version of the 19, late 30s, early 40s uh, version right. of the character. Um, but, you know, early on, it was uh, a lot of, man, I'm ho I hope I'm doing the, the, the big guy proud. I hope, uh, hope the writing is as good, you know, all that stuff. Uh, after a while, I just kind of did my thing. You know, I, you, you asked, you're, you're, was it a difficult voice? No, it's not. Not for me. It's easier right. to, to do him than it is to do me in a voiceover gig because I'm just much more comfortable in, in pig skin than my skin. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, more with Bob. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes. Mm. 
join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. So as far as that stutter goes, yeah, again, working on this since you were a child, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's more than just a stutter. There's a, there's a rhythm to yeah, it. There's yeah, a- I, talk, I talked about that rhythm in a documentary called I Know That Voice. Um, and you know, I can't, I, I go to uh, uh, fan conventions, comic cons. Sure. I'm going to one week in Texas. Um, it's, uh, it's in Conroe, Texas, ladies and gentlemen. If you, if, if you go to my website or just check it out, it's an anime convention in Conroe, Te- Conroe Texas. I'll put um, it in anyway, the notes to the episode, too. There we go. People, uh, people will stand in front of me and, and do my voices for them, for, for me, rather. And I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to say? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, oh, I hope you get the job next time there's auditions. Um, <laughs> but so, so people will, will inevitably say catchphrases from the cartoons. Either... That's all, folks, or um, or just um, something that they remember, like from Robin Hood Daffy. Oh, they cut it out. I'm serious. If you don't know where Robin Hood is, they just say so. Okay, great. You can do the catchphrases from that from that short. Now read the front page of the of the newspaper as that character. Right. Oh, um, I uh, uh, every time I work, it's a new script. So it's not just being able to master the voice and master the stutter. You have to tell a story, and you get the same character, and you be be charming. But the the most important thing is the story, is the script. So that's, I think, the difficult part when people say, oh, I want to play a classic character. They can mimic the catchphrases, but they don't know the character. Because if you really know the character, I'll I'll tell you, I don't know if I I think I've told the story, but uh, when we auditioned for the first Space Jam, and it was callback after callback after callback, it was down to about six of us. And for the last callback, they handed out Shakespeare and they had us do Hamlet's to be or not to be. And I looked at that. It was cold, but I knew it. And I looked at it. and I'm like, oh, this is great. And I'm looking at the I'm looking at the room and everybody else is terrified. And I'm like, I think this is my job because <laughs> I could I could I could easily do to be or not to be as Porky Pig. That was that was that was, that was easier than reading the, the actual audition from the actual movie because. I knew this. I knew Hamlet, and I could, and because it was Hamlet and it was Porky Pig, I, I just thought it was poetic. It really is. It really is. But you know, you touch on a very important thing there. You know, it's it's more so than just mastering the voice. It's getting to know the character that's behind that voice, where the voice is coming from, and how that character would perceive either situations mm-hmm. or text before them. Yeah, and a lot of times um, people think. When you do what I do, even if it's an original character, they, oh, it's just the voice. No. 
All characters have a voice, but not all voices have character. So it really doesn't matter what the character sounds like. What matters is the personality, right. the, the conflict, the relationships with the, with the other characters, the story, and all the subtext that an actor does, whether it's uh, stage, film, or a cartoon. And, and just hearing you talk about those conventions, I can't imagine how difficult sometimes it would have to be to hear impression after impression and then just, them just waiting for your opinion. That would be trying you know, for me. You want to be nice because if it weren't for these amazing people, I wouldn't have a house. So <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to them. Uh, I do enjoy meeting them. It's kind of fun because before the internet and fan conventions, we had a job, but we had no idea if we impacted people or if they even watched it so that's a good point you, know, you, yeah. go to, you go to these conventions and people know more about you or remember more about you than you do that's what, that's got to be a good feeling though how neat it's fun it's fun so in your estimate then having voiced porky and you know all these other characters for so many years now you know what is it in your estimate that keeps looney tunes relevant almost a hundred years later there's been so many great cartoon characters over the years that just you know over time just kind of slip away but looney tune characters are always relevant and i'm curious what you're what you think that is well you're actually wrong no you know here's what happened i i started doing porky in 1990 that was the tail end of Saturday morning cartoons because Cartoon Network and Disney Channel popped up. So now they have 24-7 cartoons. So the network started doing live action shows like Saved by the Bell on NBC instead of cartoons, whether they were new or the classics. And Nickelodeon was airing the Looney Tunes for a while. And Fox Afternoons was airing the Looney Tunes for a while. Sure. And then they kind of stopped airing them. And then we did the movie Space Jam, and that brought them back a little bit. And then they died down again, and there wasn't much content. And then we did a show called uh, Duck Dodgers, and Duck Dodgers led to uh, a few other projects. Um, one was called Lunatics that I really wasn't a part of except for one episode. It was not, not my favorite. And then we did um, the Looney Tunes show and new Looney Tunes and now these HBO Max uh, shorts. But they're not in the public eye the way they were when you and I were kids, where they were right. everywhere, and they had the Warner Brothers stores and, and whatnot. So I'm doing a show right now called Bugs Bunny Builders, which is a, a, a preschool show with the characters, and it's really well done. And trust me, I'm picky. If I didn't think something was good, I would just keep my mouth shut about it. Right. Um, but I think we're at an interesting place right now. The second Space Jam movie was not a huge success. Um, the HBO Max cartoons are great, but you got to get Max to watch sure. them. Yeah, I'm sure they'll pop up on Cartoon Network, but you know, it's a very different world we're living in as far as where people uh, consume content. So, I, you know, I'm not an executive with a studio. I don't know what their plans are. I don't know if they've got four or five projects down the road they're just waiting to do. Right. I don't know if they're going. Hey, we got to uh, wait for something major. Some brilliant idea and then we'll do it i don't know so they're not as um you know when i see people at conventions and they're under the age of 40 they may or may not know who these characters are so and which makes me kind of sad because everybody knows yeah, mickey mouse exactly and i guess i i've always thought that you know everyone knows who these characters well, yeah, are. oh yeah because you're a fan you know you, yeah. you you like these characters um but 
I think we've got generations of kids today who would say, who's Popeye? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, but at the same time, they don't they don't make new iterations of Popeye. Like, I mean, I think there were a few in the 90s, but, you know, it kind of seemed to peter out somewhere along the way where with Looney Tunes, you know, there was that law. And then, of course, medium changes. But it seems like right. they're always somewhere at some point. Yeah. And, you know, diehard cartoon fans know everything. But the general public used to be exposed True. to all these cartoons. And by the way, the reason why Looney Tunes were associated with television is because when TV started, well, they didn't have any content for kids. These Looney Tunes, all cartoons were made for adults in, in theaters before adult movies. Oh, right. Like cereals and stuff. Well, not even just cereals. I mean, before every movie, I mean, the very first Tweety cartoon debuted before the movie Casablanca. No kidding. Oh, these movies were not for, these cartoons were not for children. They were for adults to be played before adult movies. And if you look at these cartoons, they're pretty darn sophisticated. There's a lot of humor in these cartoons that the kids would not understand, but the adults are going, oh, that is funny. That's irony. That's satire. And so TV starts and they're like, well, we need content for kids. They can't, we can't be doing howdy duty, you know, right. all day long. That's expensive. And they're like, we have all these cartoons. It won't cost us a dime to broadcast these cartoons. So that's why they started broadcasting Mighty Mouse, Looney Tunes, Popeye, even the Three Stooges. So you know, people associate this stuff with, with, with TV. They were made for the theaters. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew they do, did that kind of stuff in theaters, but I didn't know that's where uh, some of Looney Tunes and those characters uh, came from. Yeah. You know, you bring up an uh, interesting point I haven't thought about, you know, with the medium change and you starting your career uh, before all that, you know, work, working when it was mainly just network television and working through the bang of the internet and the, uh, the rise of the streaming services. What, mm -hmm. what, what's your opinion of the way television has evolved? Is, is it something you like? Is it something, is there something lost? Uh, it's interesting. I was on the board of governors of the TV Academy for 10 years representing actors, um, which I loved. It was a, just a wonderful, uh, time in my career to do that. Sure. Um, and I'm in the motion picture Academy as well, as well. Um, blessing and curse. It's really cool to have so much content at your fingertips, but it's so much. How do you watch everything? How do you choose what to watch? I can, I can tell you that as an adult, because I was so busy at the time, I have never seen a complete episode of cheers. I've never seen a complete episode of Frasier. Wow. Um, and not because, and when I do watch them, they're brilliant. Right. But it's not because I didn't like them. It was because they came on the air when I was beginning my career and I had, you know, survival jobs five days, seven nights a week to pay the bills so I could pursue acting. And I was just too busy to watch TV. And that was when there was only three networks. Right. A day. Oh my gosh. With Paramount plus and, and, and Apple and, and uh, Amazon and Netflix, what I'll do is I'll, I'll find a show and, and watch it. Uh, for instance, uh, Mrs. Maisel, Ted Lasso, brilliant. Love them both. Never seen Succession. Here it's great. Just sure. started watching uh, uh, Only Murders in the Building. Um, I just started season two. I just can't watch it all. Right. And I think, I think the problem is there's too much. Yes. Um, not that there's too much bad stuff. There's too much great stuff. And the industry has got to uh, reevaluate what it means to have a rating. 
because we're not going to have ratings like the last episode of MASH ever again. And not and and the Super Bowl still does great, but it has no competition. So, you know, the the vastness that is uh, content with streaming, it's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. The bad thing is there's just so much. You don't have water cooler conversations because nobody watches TV in real time because everything is on demand. You watch it when you want to watch it. So I miss that connection. That ooh, hey everybody, did you see that? Uh, Sinatra special last night wasn't that great. Well, no, I didn't see it, but I plan to watch it tomorrow. I remember when they started with VCRs when we would we would tape right. shows, and, and don't tell me about it. I have it. I have it on my VHS. Um, and so and so now you know you see conversations on social media. Bless their heart if they say spoiler spoiler alert on the last episode of Mrs. Maisel. Then I can just keep scrolling because I don't want. But the schmucks that don't say spoiler. Alert. Oh, yeah. oh, I didn't need to read that. It's 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 just too vast. That's my opinion. It's just too vast, too much. Too vast and uh, not as much opportunity for a show that could have the possibility to be a smash hit to be a smash hit because it could be just getting looked over with so much happening yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. All right, I got to jump over to something else I've read. Uh, okay. Is that you are the official audio double from Mark Hamill when it comes to voicing Luke Skywalker. I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put it that way. Um, I auditioned for the character for one game, and then they just kept hiring me. So again, okay. none of us have, have a, a lifetime contract for anything, but I've done them a lot. Sure. Quite a bit. Quite a yeah. bit. Uh, in a lot of games and projects that, you know, I played uh, when I was growing up. Uh, but, and you know, I know this isn't the first time, you know, voicing an iconic character that's already had a voice for you, obviously. But, uh, you know, Star Wars fans sometimes can be very rabid. And I'm yeah. curi <laughs> curious if there was ever, uh, well, how do I want to phrase this? Any initial, like, concerns or worries with uh, voicing Luke because of that? Not because of that. My concern was that I couldn't do Mark Hamill. And when I got the, the audition, and it was the, the today we audition in our home studio, just right. us. And before that, we would audition in our agent's offices. Before that, we would go to an audition. And this was for uh, an in-person audition. And I, 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 they want you to audition for Luke Skywalker for a game. And I, I said to my agent, I can't do Mark Hamill. That's not my thing. Let him do it. And my agent calls the producers, and the producers called back and said, no, we, we hear something in Bob's voice. We think he's in the right uh, range. We'd still like him to come in. And I went into the audition, and I said to the, the gang from LucasArts, I said, you guys, I don't do Mark Hamill. And they said, don't do Mark Hamill. Do Luke Skywalker. I was like, oh, okay. Help me here. What do you just? Right. I mean, I know the character. I mean, I'm not, I was... I never was a diehard Star Wars fan. I just saw all the movies like everybody else and had fun. Right. I never collected the action figures. I I couldn't tell an an Obi Wan from a Kenobi. So I I didn't I, I just didn't know. So um so they 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 gave me like um a Reader's Digest version of who he was throughout the first three movies. Um, which I guess are really the middle movies. Um, <laughs> at the time, they were the first. At the time, movies. they were the first three movies. And they, they said, there's pre-Jedi Luke and there's post-Jedi Luke. Pre-Jedi Luke, he's a young kid. 
kind of whiny and doesn't really know anything. And he's always just there and he just wants more. And then he gets this thing called the force and he gets more centered and he gets a little bit more may the force, but just, just a little bit more centered. And I went, okay. So I auditioned for the game and I got it. And I said to my agent, before you say yes, I need to, I need to have you call Mark Hamill's agent and, and make sure he doesn't want to do this because I'm not going to take a part from an actor if they really want to do it. Sure. And I also, if it was if it was a money thing, it was like, you know, I'm I am Luke Skywalker. You should pay me more than the average voice actor. I'm like, pay him. He should do it. At that time, I think he was distancing himself from the franchise, trying to do different things. So he was not going to be a part of it. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And um I forget the first one I did. Um, but it, it, it was reviewed in the LA times and in the end of the review, it said something like uh, great game. And the best part is they got Mark Hamill to play Luke, Luke Skywalker. Wow. And so I, I called my agent and I said, and I don't play games. So I wouldn't, I haven't seen it. I wouldn't, I said, what did, what, did he do it? Was I replaced? And she called them up and they said, no, that's you. So the reviewer didn't wow. stay for the credit either so i was like well i guess that's a that's a good review huh that's a damn good review had to yeah. make you feel pretty darn good i know it would yeah. me have, did you ever um talk to mark hamill in the like in later years about uh, oh, sure. voicing oh yeah Luke? yeah one year we were nominated together opposite each other for for uh an emmy and we tried to get together for dinner just to celebrate but it, he was busy doing something um oh yeah I've, I've i've we're not like you know what are you doing for passover come over let's talk moses we're not that close um but you know we're like you know i remember seeing him in in the lobby of the studio where i was doing one, one of the looney tunes things and uh, he's like oh my god i would love to do a looney tune something or other and i went into the to the to the booth and i said to our producer you know mark hamill's outside he's, he'd like to do a looney tunes so they hired him to do a, an episode but it wasn't a day i wasn't in it so i was really bummed i didn't get a chance oh to work with god but i will tell you uh, just if you follow him on social media he is yes. that guy he's so nice he is he answers fans you know i'm not sure if mark hamill will see this but and he's like he saw it and, and i mean he's just a sweet sweet kind generous uh grateful he's a grateful guy and um and you know he's he's um he's kind of sort of back doing this character in the movies so i, I you know it wouldn't surprise me if they I, I haven't done a game as luke for years i did do a robot chicken in the last season playing current luke in the movies and don't not sure why he didn't do it but it's older luke like from the that's new a, disney films you're saying yeah that's a harder really? luke to do yeah it's a that's a harder luke to do because he's you know he's older and he's a little right. grizzled and, and and uh and mark's voice is a little bit more it's different so so i'm still trying to keep him young and keep that but but get get that little bit of a raspy edge to him um so that's that's more of a challenge than anything else i've ever had to do because i i my voice is still kind of like young luke so right um that was that was for seth green for robot chicken and i think they're oh it's it's awesome they're a little more forgiving I think with with impressions and stuff, but it's also <laughs> the best writing on TV, right? And it's it kind of harks back to what you were saying about Porky. You know, I mean, there were different versions of Porky's voice, but and then with Luke, there's like different uh, different stages of the character's development and uh, age, obviously that offer yeah. different Lukes you have to learn. Yeah, we're going to take another quick commercial break, but stick around. More with Bob when we return. 
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Now, on your website, BobBergen.com, one thing I saw is you offer voice lessons for people who were just like yourself, looking to learn from the greats. Can you tell a little bit about yeah. that uh, class? Uh, well, I'm not doing classes anymore. I'm just doing private coaching, and that was a byproduct of COVID. Um, oh, I see. I, I've been doing group workshops since the mid-'80s, and then COVID hit and couldn't do that anymore. Right. So I always was resistant doing this Zoom sort of coaching because I, I kind of needed that there's something about in person there's right. something about the eye contact with the person in the studio and there's something about you know even walking up to them at the mic and putting my hand on their shoulder going oh okay that was good now because it sometimes they're i can see they're lacking confidence it has nothing to do with their talent they need just some kind of a connection and i was like i can't do that from a machine but over a few months when covid first happened people were like would you do zoom coaching and i'm like all right i'll try it but if i suck i'm sorry and not only did i not suck i loved it and i can spend more one-on-one -on -one time with somebody for an hour than i can in a work group workshop for five ten minutes at the mic during an evening so um it's got about a two to four year wait list um holy shit that is yes, amazing I, um, well my, my my group class had a four-year wait list when COVID hit so um but I always tell people get on the list because not everybody is uh, available when it's their turn. And so I've gotten to people who, oh no, I abandoned voiceover years ago. Oh, okay, great. Thanks for telling me. That's so, what I was going to say. A good way to wean out the people who just had a, yeah. a a fleeting interest in it rather than a serious. I will bump people up my list if they have an audition they want coaching for, and it fits into my schedule because there's a time uh, that that time sensitive uh uh part of the equation on an audition you can't like ah call me in two years no it's been cast so um <laughs> and if an agent or a casting director refers somebody i will bump them up my list um but you know my 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 class and the information's on my website i'm i'm, I'm i'll tell you i'm not i'm not cheap but i don't want to be cheap because i want people who are serious about this and if you why want should you be you're a voice legend well, it isn't even that, and I appreciate that, but that's not that's not why. What I, I want serious people. And I also want people who are actors. You don't take a cartoon voiceover class as the first step. Right. You take acting classes, improv classes, you get you become a good actor, and then you study the technique and craft of voiceover. So I, I purposely priced uh, for professionals, or at least for people who are uh, on the road to competing and pursuing. But some people spend the hour working on original characters and some people spend the hour on i got a demo i've got an agent how do i what do i do how do i market well, how do i get myself more and sometimes people just need a reassurance that no you're good your choices are great you don't right. don't keep trying to fix yourself and some people need fixing so sure um there's no level to it as far as you know well i've got an agent but i've never booked a cartoon i've got an agent i book cartoons all the time 
but I've never played this kind of character. They always think of me of this, and I want to prove myself to be able to do uh, some other kinds, like a person who always plays villains, and they're, they're dying to play a creature, or they're dying to play uh, something like Looney and something right. a smart, you know? So, yeah. And sometimes you have to be, you have to know you can do it. You have to excel at it. And then you have to update your demo and show your agent, see what I can do. But you might need some coaching for that journey. Have you ever uh, kept in touch or kept an eye on any of the people you've coached to see what they've done? Or is it just a one-off thing and they go on their way? It's a good question. <laughs> I'll get notes from people. Hi, you remember me? I took your class in 1993. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to help. <laughs> it's like when people come up to me at a fan convention and they'll say, we're Facebook friends. I'm like, I got 5,000. Right. I don't know. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> or or, or, or we, we met at San Diego Comic-Con and I'm like, oh, I thought you were look familiar. You're like, you were like one of, um, I'm sorry, 200,000 people. Yeah, right. that was you. Um, I will tell you that it has, doesn't happen often and I'm 30 plus years teaching. But when that person comes to the mic that first day in class and you're like, oh, they've got the it factor. It is a matter of time. You know it. Um, I would never tell them that because I don't want to give them a swelled ego. Sure. And I don't want them to stop trying just because I'm thinking, oh, yeah, they're going to they're going to take work away from you someday. Right. And that is that is not a complaint. That is the ultimate goal as a coach is that they compete with you. I can count on probably less than two hands the number of times I've seen the it factor. Uh, Steve Bloom had the it factor. Max Middleman had the it factor. J.P. Karliak, Misty Lee. I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, but it's it's like a slap in the face. They're that good. Right. You just know, holy cow. And, and then there are the people that are that good, but they don't have a work ethic. Oh, I see. Or, or they, they, they maybe they, they're, they're, I use the term trust fund baby. They've got more money than God because their family gave them a lot of money and they don't have to work. Right. So they're brilliant, but they don't, they don't go the distance. They're not hungry. And then, I see, and then I see people who are dirt poor, who have the it factor and are willing to do and spend and invest whatever it takes to compete. And that's to me, the most exciting actor because they earn it. They've right. got the skills. They they were. I think you're born an actor. I think you're born with talent. But what class does is it teaches you technique to reproduce, recreate your talent consistently at will. And boy, these people who are like, oh, that was me. I was working five days, seven nights a week in survival jobs. The first five years, I had an agent because wow. I wasn't making a living at voiceover. Right. I was paying my bills with my day jobs and trying to build a career. So those are the people that excite me. The ones that have that. It factor with talent and that work ethic it factor. And that makes absolute sense. I mean, there's got to be times that someone's forked over the money to take the class or someone that you have to sit there and teach that you're just, man, this isn't going to go anywhere. I'm wasting my time in some sense. Well, I've never told any student, don't waste your money. You don't have the skills because lousy actors get lucky breaks every day. And it's not my place to, to sure. stop somebody's journey where they could be that one lucky actor. But what I will tell people is, look, stop spending money on voiceover classes and get thee to a really good acting class and study acting for a couple of years and then go back to voiceover. Or I might say to somebody in my class when I did classes, um, you're so good. 
why are you so lazy? You clearly don't work on, on your craft. You clearly aren't ambitious. You don't really have a work ethic. You're spending a lot of money on this class. I would never recommend you to an agent or a casting director. I'd say they're brilliant, but they're going to fall flat because they just don't, they're not hungry. And then I've had people who were freaking brilliant, but they were so low on confidence. Oh, yeah. But that's normal. I think everybody has the imposter syndrome where you're like, when are they going to catch on? I have no idea what I'm doing. And I got really lucky. <laughs> but that's everybody in every job, no matter what you do. That's, that's the truth. Shows. That's life. It's just life. It's the truth. That's interesting as hell. You could write a book just on that alone, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. And I'll, I'll have to partner with a psychologist because I have a feeling that that, that I, I, I need an expert to say, nope, you're absolutely right. But here's our point of view on what you're saying. Right. <laughs> so as far as what you've got going on in the future, Bob, what's, what's, what's down the uh, pike for you? Lots of stuff work-wise that I can't talk about because we do NDAs and sure. you have to keep your mouth shut. Uh, Bugs Bunny Builders, uh, Looney Tunes Cartoons, that's for Warner Brothers. Uh, Spidey and His Amazing Friends, I'm working on that. Uh, I've done that for a few seasons. Um, a show called Do Drop Diaries for uh, DreamWorks. Oddballs for Netflix. Uh, it's Pony Nickelodeon. Uh, lots of stuff. You know, I've, I've been busy. The two and a half years of COVID have been the busiest of my career. I right. think because the voiceover world kept going when all other acting genres died because uh, they right. couldn't go to studio. We kept going. So um, so it's been really, really good. We were, we had Tara Strong on the show some time ago, and she said that exact same thing. You know, during COVID, you guys were the only ones working and that all these like big name actors were trying to exodus into voice acting because there was no work for them. And that, that you guys were just all kind of like, you know, we're good. We have the people we need. You can't well, just rush in here because of your name. We also never recorded cartoons from our home studio. We did auditions from our home studio and we might've done some voiceover from here, but for animation, we would go in studio and within two to four weeks, everybody had upgraded their space and at their house broadcast quality. And I've only been in studio five times since COVID. And Holy I don't hell really. Yeah. And if I never have to go in studio again, I'll be thrilled. I love working from home. There's no LA traffic when you work from home. So <laughs> I mean, the only traffic I have is walking out of my studio to get another cup of coffee in, in the kitchen. And, and, or I might go, Ooh, I've got an hour. I can do some laundry. I mean, I, I, I really dig this new, normal that is recording cartoons right i would imagine so everybody would work from home i think if they could i wish i could that's amazing i don't know i know a lot of voice actors that are that are that were starving to go back in studio and, and a lot really? have uh-huh um but man you know no i love this i don't blame you yeah <laughs> uh, before i cut you loose bob did you have anything you wanted to plug just one little thing if people sure. are interested in getting into to doing what I do. Uh, yes, I coach. It's got a long wait list. But uh, next January, uh, a coach and casting director, Maryland Listener, and I uh, are doing our second voiceover cruise. Uh, we did one in 2019, and we planned to make it an annual thing. This pandemic happened, and we couldn't do it. So we're doing one next January. Uh, it's the end of January. If, if people if people email, I can actually send you a, a link with all the information if you Please want do. to post it with. But it's a 10-day round trip from San Francisco, Mexican Riviera. 
So there's lots of things to see cruise-wise, but on the ship, there's five workshop days, two animation, two commercial, and a day of talking about marketing and demos and agents and all that stuff. There is absolutely no level to this. Everything from I'm interested in voiceover to I'm a working actor, but we're only taking 40 students. And we're right now a little over halfway booked. So if people are interested, they should inquire and I'll send you the link with all the information on who to contact. Um, and if they have questions, they can ask me. They can, you, you can include my email address if you want. That's fine. Okay. Um, but, but it's fun. And it's a really neat, always a neat, a neat group because everybody's, if you part of the expression, on the same boat. I mean, everybody <laughs> is there for the same reason. So it's really neat to be uh, on a ship. Doing voiceover with cocktails is really fun. It's a I lot of fun. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that would be a blast. Yeah, please send me that link. I'll definitely attach it to the episode. I will do that. And you said that's it in January? January next year. January uh, next year. End of January. Uh, I don't have the information in front of me right now, but I'll forward that to you. Okay. Yeah, we'll ha keep in. We'll have to keep in touch because uh, as we get closer, we can uh, further promote it. Assuming it's not booked up. Well, like that. I was going to say promote it ASAP if you can, or whenever you whenever you you post this, cruises fill up early. Oh yeah, no, I and, plan to promote it as soon as this goes up. But I mean, well, I what, uh, and, and, and once the ship once the ship is completely sold out, it doesn't matter if we've got enough students. There's no room. So um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cruises uh, book up early, but um, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I would say so. I'm jealous. Bob, this has been amazing to talk with you. Oh, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Uh, this was fun. You asked, you're very good at what you do. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. So are you. you. Bet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, everyone. And there it is, my conversation with Bob Bergen. I want to thank him once again so much for taking time to be on the show with me because it's it's always so incredible to talk to these people that have been a part of my life and your guys's life for so many years and then they're right here on the screen talking to me it's incredible it never ceased to be amazing and especially in this case the legendary bob bergen check him out at bobbergen.com and on social media at bergen.bob and once again like i was saying the, uh, the cruise that's coming up January 23rd through February 2nd. I say coming up. I know that's still like half a year away at this point. But the point uh, he was making was that these things fill up fast and you need to book them now. Again, it's a 10-day Mexican Riviera cruise on Crown Princess, which is a round trip from San Francisco, January 23rd to February 2nd, which once again... Bob and Mary Lynn Wisner are going to be giving you guys uh, classes, uh, lessons, helping you develop your craft while you're on this 10-day cruise. It sounds so much fun. If I had time, I would think about doing it. But once again, I'm going to put the link to that in the uh, notes to this episode. So go down there, click it. It'll take you right over to the webpage uh, so you can get more information and be put in contact with who you need to be put in contact with. And uh, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air and CannedAirPodcast.com. Once again, it's the hub to find uh, past episodes of ours. Uh, what else? There's a link to our merch, uh, T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers with the Candair logo on it. A link to the Patreon page where for a little bit of money every month, you get uh, some extra content in return that's not open to the general public. Um, what else? I feel like I'm forgetting something big. It's weird doing this with the rest of the guys not here sometimes. But I think that's everything other than Evergreen Podcast Network, the network we're so very proud to be a part of. Uh, lots of great shows on that network. Check them out at evergreenpodcasts.com. 
And I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley, and thank you so much for listening. Oh, no! Don't run! It'll only make things worse! What? Remember, you never want to approach a stray dog, especially one that's foaming at the mouth. Get away from the animal as quickly as you can and tell a grown-up. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. This has been a Canned Air production. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.